Welcome, Wheatland family and friends. Thanks so much for joining us. You're listening to Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. I am Luke LaDuc, senior pastor here at Wheatland, and I am joined weekly by our co-host, Dr. Dan Spanger, professor of history and chair of the Arts and Sciences Department at Lancaster Bible College. As a professor of history, Dan is a bright mind and engaging lecturer, and as an elder here to our Wheatland family, Dan has a warm heart for the gospel of Jesus and our life together as the body of Christ. And I am thrilled to dig more deeply into the scriptures with him each week as we tackle questions, explore connections, and generally unpack the sermon from the previous Sunday. Along the way, we'll take a few side streets, a winding road or two, but we'll never be quite so lost that you won't enjoy the scenery. Thanks for coming along. Welcome, congregation, and Pastor Luke. Uh, We're in cross-reference looking at uh, your continuing discussion in Genesis, and um, I, I know from our other conversations, Luke, that it sounds like you're getting to be a little, a little bit of a single drum here to beat. Yeah, that's everything's right. got to be connected to Genesis somehow. I just can't. It's a sticky, sticky track <laughs> trap. I can't get out of. Yeah, once no. you get inside of it, you can't get out. Exactly. But isn't that, I mean, it, it's it's the beauty of the covenants, um, and I think the whole scripture. That what's that statement I've heard before that the scriptures are shallow enough for a baby to crawl across and deep enough to drown an elephant yeah you can once you if you really get into it it just gets richer and richer and deeper and deeper it does yeah Yeah. and i think uh, you know that's what we've talked a lot about on this podcast so far but but genesis as as creating these paradigms that the rest of the story of god saving his people will live in um is so important to come back and see and it's been it's been encouraging for me um to do that in this so it's been a gift to get to do it so it's a bit it's a bit awkward if i may say to go from genesis up through 11 mm-hmm. and then change the whole sort of theme you're looking at but stay right. in genesis just a couple chapters later yeah um or no, one chapter for sure. to 12 and then and then on to 15 yeah because i think you probably felt it on sunday and i certainly felt it i felt like um and i think it's legitimate i'm not saying it's illegitimate what i did but it's in a sense put on a different pair of glasses for the Advent season and to say, okay, let's read this. I think we're reading the Abraham story in a little different way, not in a different way, but we're looking for different things with these Advent glasses on than perhaps what we'd have been looking for if we would just move from Genesis 11 to 12 and and we're going that way. So I, I I think that's fair to say. Yeah. But, but to, to your point, I mean, if we're, if, if Advent and what Christ is doing is inside the covenantal structure, mm. then then this this has to in fact become paradigmatic. It has to set exactly. up what Christ is doing. So right, yeah. I don't think it was that awkward, but it was. Good. It's funny to say, okay, we're done with that sermon series. Now on to the next chapter. Of Genesis. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> now for something completely different. <laughs> something completely different. For those of you that know that reference. That's right. Um, right in and tell us what that's from. And then, and then I think the other, the other part, and I, I did not feel this in the sermon. I think you mentioned it afterwards that if you're going through this, this look at one through eleven the very comfortable next step would be how does that what God does with Abraham as a follow-up to what's happening now is the new covenant in mm. Abraham is established. Mm-hmm. And as you mm-hmm. noted, it was the one point you refused <laughs> to mention. <laughs> yeah. Let's look at this glorious <laughs> chapter 15, but stop at verse six before <laughs> there is this covenantal stuff going on. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I think I mentioned that to you right after the sermon. Um, but it, you know, it was one of those things that as I, I was trying to say something pretty narrow, I think, yeah, on yeah. Sunday. And I could, I, in fact, uh, if, if people grabbed the manuscript, they saw that I skipped a whole paragraph. And, okay. and again, uh, and that's because I felt so duty bound to at least acknowledge the rest of that chapter that I wrote a little paragraph, but it, it didn't do the 
covenant justice yeah, and it yeah. would would have just been more of a distraction so while on the fly i decided to let's just let's just keep narrowing down on this idea of lament and and we'll save that for another day so maybe luke you could you could talk to us just for a second about sermonizing because i yeah i do think that there's a tendency and, and i can see it myself to say okay this is going to be the definitive approach to this text <laughs> once the pastor speaks on it I, I know that's not what you do but maybe a help to say how do yeah. you approach it yeah and what are you doing with the sermon if it's not the here's yeah. the definitive way to read you know Genesis yeah 12. well um i had someone early on tell me and I, I, they were trying to encourage me, but I think it was one of those encouragements with uh, really the heart of it was a rebuke. Um, <laughs> you don't have to say everything uh, each time you get up in the pulpit. Um, the, your job is to unfold over time this story and these scriptures and be faithful, but you don't have to say everything each time. So I, I know that's true, but I think and you probably feel it too, you feel like once you're up there, it's such a holy and such a, a weighty thing that you, you feel keenly the responsibility not to miss anything. And at the same time, you're keenly aware that you're only scratching the serve. I mean, it's this weird thing that you know you're not supposed to say everything because people can't bear it and you can't, you can't put it together cleverly enough to deal with things. Um, well and thoroughly but at the same time you still feel that stress and that tension and to be honest um i don't know this is a bit of probably more transparency than you were looking for but this particular weekend was an incredible struggle um just putting this together and i don't know why that is there's sometimes where it feels easier and sometimes it 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 flows easier but this for me was not one of them and i don't i don't know exactly know why that is but yeah i think i think we're always my uh, maybe i've used this before but i think um putting together a sermon i always want i think i've used this i'm sure i have i always want to shoot a shotgun shell with a bunch of little bbs that mm. you know if you fire this at least you'll hit something you'll hit somebody somewhere and um <laughs> Actually, it's always better. I BBs think. of love. Yes, BBs of love. Healing of shotgun yeah. shells. I'm not sure. Yeah, where that's the, that's not a great. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is to let's let's say it this way. Good point, Dan. Um, well taken. You can say a hundred things and hope that somebody will get something, or you can say one thing, and um, really drive that home. And I think yeah, it's yeah, always yeah. probably better to drive that one thing home. But I'm always feeling the tension of, but if I add one more thing, if I add one more thing here, then it'll be, yeah, so. Now, the, and I, the, the particular challenge must be, I think, in a, in a PCA church, as Presbyterians can be rather heady. We know we yeah, can't clap. We right. proved that again this past week. So <laughs> <laughs> whatever theology of the spirit yeah. may include, it does right. not include clapping. Right. Boy, uh, but we're eager. We, we're we so want eager. to be, we want to be that okay so that's not our strength but, our, yeah. but one of our strengths is is being heady and i, and I mm -hmm. think that's actually a good thing but but then it can then we can approach these things and say okay now give me the sound theology and i've always appreciated about you because i think that's my tendency what mm -hmm. i appreciate about you is I, I think you i'm putting words in your mouth though that you preach with a pastor's heart yeah you, you're you're you've counseled whoever you've counseled over this week and you've seen the difficulties and now you're bringing a sermon and trying to make that relevant and not all of us have gone through what you've seen other parishioners go through right but yeah, the you have that are and there. this has mm -hmm. to matter and I, I think that's one of the reasons why our pastors ought to be preachers and preachers ought to be pastors because mm -hmm. if not these things can float above the heads of everyone yeah or if someone's too tied in they can't get above that yeah x but i think you you navigate it yeah I'm, I'm, I'm sure never perfectly in your own mind but you know no it. no and that's the that's the you know that's the beauty of the task and and that our life together is not a uh, you know, this is a growing and learning and loving right. and giving experience. It's not a download that you, <laughs> that you right. click on and, and okay, now I've got that in my right. library or whatever. But I remember uh, a friend of mine uh, who's a contemporary and not even a pastor, but um, <laughs> they are what I think of as the sort of um, listener to sermons that you would, mm -hmm. that you would hope you're preaching to, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, yeah. and I, but I remember him saying to me, 
don't forget to say something to people's hearts in, in all of your work. And, and I think that's always been something that I can, if I have a sermon and I fail to do that, and I, I think I know when I have failed to do that, when I've sort of fallen off on that, here's the philosophical, theological, right. whatever. Um, yeah, I, I think him saying that to me at, at one point was, was one of these helpful words that just sticks in your brain. Mm -hmm. and like, okay, mm -hmm. what here says something to someone's heart? Well, yeah. I think you went even further than that. If I, if I could say it, interestingly, is I think you pastored Abraham a little. <laughs> right. <laughs> I taught him a thing or two. Well, I mean, like a pastor <laughs> yeah. does, encourage, yeah, right. um, you know, call out, call out what's the flaws yeah. and, and faults. Right. I mean, we're not, uh, the love about scripture is that it does not put any of its saints on pedestals. Not, mm. not a single one goes right. on a pedestal. They're all these yeah. flawed, yeah. broken people. And, but you pastored him, I mean, or you pastored us with him or something like that. But this idea of bringing out this, the concept of lament mm -hmm. and waiting is a very pastoral. I could imagine if you had Abram, not Abraham yet, but if you had Abram, right. you know, in the office as he's like, look, I, I'm in this new town. I don't belong here. Um, <laughs> well, I'm struggling with my brother-in-law. <laughs> you know, I don't right. have my gods around. Right. This sounds like something you'd pastor Abraham through this That's idea of lament. Yeah. Which is, which is high theology, but it actually is very grounded theology too. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, these things are given uh, the new testament's um sort of reflection on why we have the old testament these yeah. things are given for your example right. um it's like these this is more than sort of moralisms these are right. these are brothers sharing their life with us in the way that i think we have people in our own congregation um right. take leslie's story from sunday who are sharing their life with us in profound ways that are moving and challenging yeah. and, and, you know, just deep things. Yeah. This Abraham is doing that with us. Yeah. These aren't well. Aesop's fables, right? These aren't right. Let's imagine a scenario and that mm -hmm. sort of coalesces some sort of moral thought. This is right. Let's look at someone actually wrestling with the relationship with God and his work. Yeah. And I think like when we start thinking about lament, I've always thought that's one of for me, a helpful turn in my relationship to the Psalms um, mm -hmm. was when somebody pointed out to me, maybe it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his little, little book about the Psalms. I don't remember where I got this, but when somebody pointed out to me that the Psalms are sort of an anatomy lesson of what it looks like for humans to be in relationship mm -hmm. with Yahweh. Um, that what you're seeing, what's unfolded to you chapter after chapter in, in praise and lament and in, in, in all that's there in the Psalter is not just a, a catalog of songs from Israel's life, but mm -hmm. this is an exemplar of what it looks like yeah. for humans to be relating in deep and profound ways with their God. And in that, in that regard, and this ties back to what you're saying, Abraham becomes paradigmatic or becomes a living example of not, not his failures, but then again, we do see ours in him. Mm -hmm. And so we can right. say, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm right on track, apparently. Right. <laughs> I'm also right. disbelieving just, and making mistakes. Yeah. 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 But he becomes a para, uh, an example of how, right, how to then do we imitate him in right. asking those questions, I think is what you were right. driving at. He right. comes back to God with this question of lament. That's how we're encouraged to then bring our problems yeah, and our exactly. stuff him as well. Yeah. And this, this idea of waiting, and I, I thought you you said something, you know, I, I, you do this frequently. I don't mean to say this is a rare example, mm. but I think this is very poignant. <laughs> Finally, Lydia. Finally, I got something. <laughs> All right. Uh, no, but this is very poignant when you talked about waiting and lament, which I've heard that connection before. Mm -hmm. But then this, there's, there's multiple ways to go about waiting. And that mm. was helpful to me because I think you're right. We live in a time when... And this is true of everyone when distraction becomes the way we go about it. We, we take our eyes off what we're waiting for, we mm -hmm. get distracted by these things and hope that it just ends at some point, yeah. which then walks away from the very work that, that you see happen in Abraham, which I think is where Abraham is very dynamic. He right. grows, he's formed. Mm -hmm. I know you haven't gotten to the sacrifice of Isaac, but right. all of the doubt and, and struggle is probably still there. 
but mm. he steps out with such faith at that point that you do see this incredible development that yeah. waiting is doing its work. And I, yeah, I, I love I love that you said that because I, I think that really spoke a mm. lot to me about how I use waiting and distraction mm. rather than what it's supposed to do. It's yeah, form. it's intentional. It is, and I I feel like um, one of the images that I had in my head while I was thinking about that, um, just by way of discussion is thinking about how different it is uh, now that everyone has a smartphone for waiting yeah. in line for coffee right. or waiting in right. line for anything. anything. Yeah. Um, and, and I know this is, I'm, I'm not trying to cheapen what Abraham's waiting for here by talking about waiting in line for coffee or, or something like that. Mm. But it reminded me um, how accessible, and, and again, I, I'm sure that distraction has always been accessible, but it, it seems in new ways uh, with, with the technological progress and advancements that we've experienced in the last 20, 10 years, even more so with the ubiquity of, of right. um, smartphones and things like that, that waiting has been, I mean, if our tendency was always to just distract ourselves in the waiting and not see it as formation, now we all have a tool in our pocket, in a sense, yeah. that, that does that. I, I, I found an interesting, and I don't know, this, this is, again, maybe TMI, and you can shut it down, Dan, if this gets <laughs> too weird. But I have found myself, if I have an, un, this is weird, but if I have an unpleasant thought, if there's something in my head that I'm wrestling with that is, is a sadness or is um, something that just feels overwhelming, I have found myself reaching for my phone to open yeah. it up yeah. in that moment. And I've, I, I've, all I'm saying is I've made that connection yeah, between yeah. something that's difficult in my own life, whether it's a situation, um, a, a pastoral situation that I don't know what to do with, or I feel you know, at the end of my rope on, or, or if it's a family situation or something like that, I've noticed that when that sort of anxiety comes, I, I am so quick to just, yeah. oh, let me check my email or let me, let me see what, what's, did I get any texts? Is there, is there something right, that could right. move me off of this? Yeah. And I think what we see Abraham do here is the sort of impulse that we right. ought to develop. And, and yeah, and that's what. Yeah, so if you, maybe important. you could say it another way um, is that, is that waiting is never neutral. And mm. like, if, like, if you think of, yeah, I think of waiting as like the time when nothing's happening. And I've always tried to find ways in my own working with students to say, no, waiting is a very active thing. You know, while you wait, there's lots of things to do, that sort of thing. But that's actually what you're getting at is deeper to me, because it's, it's either you take the waiting seriously or you're formed in wrong ways. Like, like mm, waiting is not yeah. a neutral space where nothing happens, you know, like right. this blank white room and you're standing there. But your mind and heart will either be formed well in that or right. formed port like you're going to be formed in this somehow right and i think yeah. to be aware of that is really helpful because yeah. if not we can say oh well i'm just waiting and therefore there's no harm here but that's that doesn't seem to be the case for any of the saints yeah they, they could take waiting in a really wrong direction mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah yeah exactly and I, I i was having breakfast with someone this morning and they were talking about um kurt thompson he is a a a psychologist he's no he's a neuro, neuroscientist that's what he is okay. and um he and and he talks a lot about the idea tries to drill it home for us that this idea that our brains are always being shaped and formed by our circumstances and our surroundings and and taking seriously some of that i mean and then neuroplasticity of the brain and i again i am I, I'm a child. And Waxing eloquent here yeah. now. No, I, I have no idea what I'm talking about. But, <laughs> but all that to say, to affirm what you're saying, that when you distract yourself, um, in when, when instead of waiting and, and finding in the waiting this place of formation and discipline, um, when you distract yourself with something else, it's not a neutral. It's, it, yeah, it's yeah. not a neutral activity. It's actually... Uh, it's still formation. Distraction is formation so, right, as so, well. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah. And it, so what you're, what you're talking about is formation properly or formation by hope, which is how you, mm, yeah. uh, you didn't call it the burden of hope. You, you called it uh, discipline, discipline of hope. Of hope. Yeah. 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 Um, becomes in my mind, a very small, like it's a, it's almost one of these 
like very small areas to stand on because you always want to tip in one one of other directions. Mm -hmm. And the one you mentioned was despair. That if we mm -hmm. don't actually take lament well, this can trip mm -hmm. into despair. Um, distraction yeah. might be another one. And I and we we've been chatting off screen a little. And I think this is an important one too. Is not just despair but cynicism. Mm. that mm -hmm. that we yeah we can say well you're 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 anchored to this hope and the discipline of hope is to stay in this space of lament and not give in one to despair on the one side not to give in to cynicism well, well god's all washed up anyway he doesn't keep his promises and so we just become critics in that space rather than accept mm. the waiting that comes so yeah. how how can how can good lament and i know we added that after your sermon but right how can how can we see good lament as saving us from these bad formations. If we've got the three, we've got the despair, distraction, mm -hmm. and cynicism. Yeah. yeah. It feels to me, um, you know, I was thinking about all of the, like you have, what I was trying to set up on Sunday was Abraham makes this incredible leap forward. And uh, mm -hmm. again, if I'm overstating it, uh, call me on it, but in what it means to be related to Yahweh as a human. Yeah. Clearly, this is, is, is a huge step forward um, in God's relationship with humanity. It's the beginning of what he's... Uh, and then, so you have Abraham. Uh, and then you have David, um, a man after God's own heart, who also, it, it seems like, understood this dialogical um, lament uh, this idea of lament. So, so these two guys, at least from the Old Testament, and then you get Jesus in the New Testament, who becomes what Adam was meant to be. If Abraham is a little bit better than Adam, and David's a little bit better than Adam, and all of these are foreshadowing Christ and, and sort of recalibrating humanity's relationship to God. And then you get Jesus in the New Testament, in the Garden of Gethsemane, who goes back and forth with this nevertheless um, you know, take if if it's at all possible, take this cup from me and yeah, and yeah. sweating drops of blood. I think to see him in the end give this great, nevertheless, not my will, right. but thine, thine be done. It seems to me what I'm trying to say in answer to your question, Dan, is that it seems to me there is this. There's always this openness. On our part even in our deepest lament and in our angriest and our most disappointed and our, 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 the sharpest places of our doubt, there's always this openness to, even if we can't say it in that moment, being brought to the place where we're able to say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And to me, that's, that's where I, I feel like I have to stop talking because that to me is mysterious. That's the mysterious work of God's spirit and God's grace that opens our eyes and orients us towards him in that sort of faith. But I think the difference between lament as we see it played out in the life of Abraham and David and Jesus, and again, I'm just arbitrarily picking three guys that I think exemplify it, um, is that openness to that idea. And the places where you see cynicism and, and despair and distraction, I think, are places where, for whatever reason, we don't see that openness. We see that closed offness to the fact that God is God and we are not. It's something in, something in that sovereignty, that, that um, well, autonomy, <laughs> you yeah, know, that right. we... In, the, in, all of our, in, in all of our lament, in all of our crying out, is there always the possibility that we may not be able to see everything as it truly is? Right. And I think sometimes when, we, when we've seen horrible things or when we've experienced horrible things, and it leads us to conclude that we have seen the world truly as it is, even at our lowest point, there's hubris there, yeah. I think, that we're not willing to grant this distinction between the creator and the creature. Right. I don't know. That's No, I think that's great. I, of an answer. Because, well, and the, 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 the problem, I think, one of the problems a Christian always faces is he doesn't always have, she doesn't always have the right answer that people want to hear to suffering. You know, mm. Jesus would, wouldn't allow the church to make these bad mistakes. Jesus wouldn't mm -hmm. allow 
Christians to be this awful or slavery to happen, or, you know, I've heard yeah. those in class, or Christians, Christ wouldn't allow someone to die and suffer. Like there, there's that kind of, or, and I think distraction says something similar, you know, God wouldn't want me to be bored. He's not gonna, you know, he gets it. He gets that. I just can't sit here and stare at the wall anymore. I'm going to have to do something different just to keep myself busy, yeah. whatever it might be. But I think all of those, there's a similar heart in all of that. And to, to see that, because I think for what, what people can say is, well, if God is that bad, then it's really not worth it. Mm-hmm. Or, or if the church is that bad, it's really not mm-hmm. worth it. Or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to sit here and walk three days and to, to sacrifice my son. There's, there's underlying that is probably a similar feature, which I think you're driving at, which is we just don't want to trust that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. I guess, mm-hmm. I guess if he's going to make everything great, that's fine. But I don't right. see it from here. I don't know how Abraham yeah. would have seen it prior to yeah. you know Sarah's pregnancy. I'm sure Noah didn't see it prior to the waters receding. You know, we're just not going to see it. And it comes to this right. point of trust. I have to say, okay. And I think you said this by the discipline of hope, which I thought was a really neat phrase, that that, that discipline of hope is, is what holds you in that middle place of lament. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know yeah. if you can just unpack that concept a little well, bit. I, I think, well, I think there's one thing to me that has, has helps us helps us continue to practice that discipline of hope. And that is um, when we are struggling with whatever it is that we're struggling with that we've experienced in, in the world or in the church or these places where we have been incredibly disillusioned or disappointed or harmed, whatever it's been. And there's a gambit of, of reasons why people um, quit lamenting and, 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 and quit waiting over. Yeah. Quit waiting, go to solutions themselves, which of course Abraham does. And Keith's going to talk about that this week. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but for me, it it only underlines why the cross of Jesus can be the only answer to all of our, all of our questions about evil and all of our questions about the things that push us to the edge. For me, it's only the cross of Jesus that can be the answer to that, because it doesn't actually give us all of the answers to our questions why, but in this grand display of condescension and love, you have a God who comes and suffers the very same evil to the point of death that humanity suffers. And so whatever you can say in the middle of all of your questions and all of your anxieties and all of your fears and and brokenness is that whatever I can say, I know this God to whom I am crying out to has suffered this already for me and with me. He is not a God who is remote from our suffering. It's it so when you're going to a god when you are accusing a god you're, you're not accusing a god who doesn't know the very bottom and depths of human pain and abandonment and brokenness. You are crying out to a god who has voluntarily willingly laid aside his power and entered that to walk through that with us. And to me that changes the conversation a little bit as well. Yeah, and it does, because I, 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 if you connect it back to this idea of waiting, being what we're called to do, you, you could say that one of the reasons we struggle is we don't want to wait anymore. Mm. We, don't, we don't want the cross as our, our mm-hmm. model. We want something right. else. And a lot of people, and I think despair is something similar. You just, mm. And I think this is, I use Job as an example on this a little bit. He just, he just can't see a way through anymore. And so he's lost He's lost yeah. even the hope that God is going to do something with this or that his plan is going to continue, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So there's, a, there's a sense in which the waiting and the hope are tied so closely together. And that if we don't, if we don't embrace that anymore, we don't lament in that way. We've actually just given up on waiting. We're going to do mm-hmm. it our way. We're going to solve it our way. We're going to and like Abram, right? <laughs> he right. takes all these old solutions, Hagar and right. handing Sarah off to other men just to keep himself yeah. alive. So his, his, right. his line can continue. Um, we're going to do something with it. That's no longer that waiting. Yeah. And yeah. Christ waited. Yeah. And all the saints have waited. Yeah. And I, 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 you know, I don't want by any stretch of the imagination to say, well, Jesus suffered. And so, sh- 
what the heck are you crying about? I, I, that's not the point. I, the point is the suffering is real and, and the pain is hard. And you and I, in our own life, in different ways, we've talked about this and I'm not going to get into those, but we both have experienced in our own places, like sharp, <laughs> awful things. And yet at the same time, um, the cross doesn't dismiss that. It doesn't make null and void. What I'm trying to say is the cross validates that in a sense, in a way that I don't think we've often um, given, uh, given thought of the atonement uh, and Christ as a human and his own suffering, given it that weight. But yeah. And I, I like that you point out the fact that even as Abraham gets glimpses of this, he doesn't just like grab onto it and then, oh yeah, the victorious oh, Christian life. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, it's yeah. oh wow. Okay, fits and starts, if you will. Yeah, yeah, and then and the waiting becomes a norm. It is it is the place we are. If you know, I'd say to students, are you struggling with sin? You know, and I, and if they say no, I say, oh, you're in trouble. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just quit uh, struggling with it. I yeah, because that's all you're saying now. <laughs> yes, right. the answer is, are you struggling with sin? The answer yeah. is yes, um, yeah. and it always will be. And the idea, of course, that there's victory in Christ, but the victory mm-hmm. is a hope, which Paul right. calls a sure hope, you know, which yeah. drives us. And if that hope is real, then it certainly doesn't make the waiting easier in one sense. It doesn't reduce out the difficulties and the pain of it, but it gives you a reason to lament. And I, I love the idea yeah. that you tie the two together so that lament is, in fact, the way that we hope. Yeah. You, and you, I, you, yeah. Because you said this when you said when you said, you know, Abram, Abram goes back to God and says, you, know, you haven't given me a son. He's only he wouldn't he wouldn't lament in that way if he didn't understand and know that God fully could have done that at any time. Right. Comes the soul. Of yeah. Him. Yeah. And I think I think that is a, a, a huge. Um, a huge piece that maybe perhaps I for a lot of years had missed hmm. the role of lament hmm. in relationship with God is that that is. An inc- a a a real form of two things, taking God's word seriously. And secondly, a form of physical faithfulness in yeah. taking that yeah. word seriously, that yeah. this is what I do when the world is out of joint for me right. with, with faith and with the promise and with what I'm experiencing. This is what faithfulness looks like. It doesn't look like actually just bearing up under it and, and, and toughening up and, and working an extra 10 hours or 20 hours or whatever, trying to do better. What, what hope looks like in that case is that transparency, because I, I made a point at one, at one point in the sermon to say that lament is vulnerability. Right. And, and I think that is a huge, um, it's been something that's been powerful for me to be able to say with all sincerity to God that the places of my frustration and the places of my deep weakness and my fears, to be able to speak those things to God as the, the, the way in which I remain faithful in that moment in the face of what I feel is utter weakness or whatever but to be able to to see that lament actually is the language of faithfulness when it's directed to the god who is yeah. the only one who yeah. can heal those places and relationship i you you brought up basil and i think of my own kids where they want something they know i can deliver a smartphone or right. a weekend or something like that right. um, to go with their friends or whatever it might be right. um if if i'm powerless then i'm a commiserator Mm-hmm. Or there's, or you develop an opposition between us. You're against me and I'm against you and mm-hmm. you won't and I want. Um, but to actually submit to me as a parent and say, I know you can, I'm going to accept this. I think it goes back to your point about formation, that if that's truly what lament is, is living in the hope and the awareness that God can, then that becomes so formative for how you learn to trust despite. Mm-hmm. And I say, okay, then I, the fact that you're not giving this to me has a reason. I, I argued with yeah. one of my daughters about, Smartphones be the biggest one these days, and, oh, yeah. and why can't I? Why can't I have one? You're keeping it from me, and all I can right. say is, look, I believe this is the right thing. Right, I believe this is important for you. And now she has a choice at that moment. She can right. say, okay, well then you're my enemy. <laughs> right, it may have been the case. You're and my maybe enemy for a few days, or, or it can be years. okay. <laughs> I don't agree with you. I don't like what you're doing, 
yeah. but you you want me to to be formed or changed mm -hmm. in a certain way and mm -hmm. and i think that if, if you could label that relationship you'd say that's faith right faith and trust that yeah. i am doing this and faith right. that for abram to come along and say right. you haven't given to me but god is doing something with that that that's mm -hmm. very relational and it's right. very intimate if yeah you, if, you, if you accept that which yeah. i think is what you see in gethsemane yeah exactly yeah exactly yeah. and and it's so interesting that when when that landed in my in in my working through this where i saw that it's at this moment that god um sees abraham believes the lord and he counts it to him as righteousness yeah. to me that was like oh again i don't want to press that too far but it is it's at least worth noting in the near and i'm not saying that it's only through lament that you know you i'm not going to try to equate this to personal soterial right. or soteriology here for abraham sure. i'm not going to do that but i think it's at least us worth sitting with that this is um in some way abraham's confession and and uh, it's through that confession um that there is this step forward this leap forward and and i think what we find in the text is, and I mentioned it because God takes him outside of the tent and tells him to look up and number the stars. Um, but God moves closer to Abraham in this. And then, of course, with what follows, which I didn't even say, that's where if I had the time in the sermon, I would have opened up the second half of this to say, look how God responds with a covenant. Mm -hmm to Abram's lament and mm. to Abram's challenge uh, and his accusation and demand. And uh, for us, I think, can I talk about that for a second? Sure. The, the covenant, because I, I feel like I didn't get to say it, but like in general, what I found so interesting about the covenant coming at the end of that episode uh, of that dialogue with God and Abraham, to us, we look at it, and this is just like a bloody mess. What is going on here? They, God, God tells Abraham to go and get like two goats and a, and a cow and a couple of birds and bring them here. Okay, and now cut them in half, sever them, and, and put them, you know, opposite Sorry, each other. That's a lot of work. Cut a cow yeah, I mean, you think about, um, <laughs> yeah, it's a I, bloody stinky mess. Yeah, yeah. Um, have I shared on here that I've always, if, if this whole pastoring thing goes south, I want nothing more than to open sort of a, a, a sort of a, a bespoke butcher shop. Where, oh, do you? And it, yeah, I love <laughs> that. I'm in a fish and tackle place. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll have fine, fine fish as well, but, um, okay. but also want to be a butcher. anyway, anyway, I just love the idea of, um, well, that's a weird thing to say. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Of a water pastor, actually. I will just say I have <laughs> enough past experience from my agrarian upbringing, okay. which you you guys may not know. That's very pastoral now. Yes, yes I pastoral. have a very agrarian upbringing, to where um, this would have been a very yes a, a, a mess, an ugly scene. But this was perhaps this idea of of this animals cut up and 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 what happens in the rest of the narrative as as it was at least just read for us on sunday where a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch which was the presence of god um you know when you get into uh the exodus what mm -hmm. how is god's presence known to his people it's oh, a cloud, cloud of smoke fire. and fire and so anyway um god himself passes between these this to us it seems like strange and remote for Abraham, it was like a, a certified check, or it's something that we know very well as a legal, formal, binding agreement. And um, I won't get into all the details of it, but just to say that that's how God responds to Abraham, to coming to him and and puts himself on display to Abram in, in the most easily and readily understood way um, of that ancient Near Eastern culture right. is a phenomenal um, example of how we can trust God to respond to our, it's not that he just puts up with it, but that he meets us 
with the very thing that we um, will understand and grasp in that moment. And again, I'm not trying to be prescriptive here and say every time you lament, God will respond with exactly what you needed, blah, blah, blah. But there is this, like I said, the discipline of hope, this thing being set up here where we see God responding to Abraham in in a way that he could not miss what was going on in a way that seems dark and and strange to us. Well, let's let's jump forward then, because. I think one of the ways you wanted to couch this conversation was inside our own season of waiting Mm. and lament. Um, And that being the season of Advent, which I think is how you started the conversation on this sermon series, is that we were being called into this season, not just looking at the advent of the coming of Christ, which was a long wait, Mm -hmm. um, you know, from the time of David forward, probably about a thousand years, but 400 years anyway, since uh, Malachi. Mm-hmm. But but this but this becomes our season now of waiting for Christ to come back. And, and if we could put it back in our conversation thus far, I guess we can say, and something we know, is that Christ as Messiah has promised to make all things new and all things right. Mm-hmm. And we do not see around us most things new or most things right, or maybe right. some new and yeah. some right. So now we're caught between this hope and this God yeah. who apparently has, has done it before. He's, he's yeah. destroyed Egypt before. He's done all kinds of things before. Right. And now we're called to lament in, in, in some similar way and be formed by the fact that God could snap his fingers now and solve his problems if he wanted to, but therefore he does not want to. Mm. So how do we accept that? Right. Is that, is that part of the similarity you're seeing? Yeah. Abram is dealing with and what we're dealing with. Yeah. I, I think that is a huge part of our questions for what it means to be, if I can use this phrase without it seeming too clever or too contrived, Advent people. Because mm-hmm. we're also Easter people, <laughs> you know. Right. And, uh, okay, are we going to be season people? We're what not people Halloween are people. We? Reformation all, Yeah, there you go. But we're all of these things together. But <clears throat> I think it dawned on me um, this past week that this idea of Advent as an anticipation for what God is coming to do, we... we the church in these moments, I mean, we've confessed a lot, and I use this in the sermon, that Christ will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. But as you know, um, that has not like been a popular theme in the church, <laughs> that Christ yeah. is coming in glory to judge the living and the dead. But I think it's because we, there's two things, I think. First of all, we haven't felt the need for it in many ways, you know, our, 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 I think. Comparatively, we, it's a fairly. Yeah, comparatively, what we've really felt is that, well, you know what, things are going pretty well, actually, and, and we've got progress, and we've got this, and we've got that, and yeah, there was, you know, if you talk to somebody after uh, World War One and then World War Two, and you can talk about historical consciousness of despair that sets in, and that sort of thing. But in general, the church uh, hasn't really always felt that sharpness, at least not my generation. How, how about that? I'll be less, but, but my generation hasn't felt the need as much for God to come in glory to judge the living and the dead. And, um, but, I, but I think the second thing flows out of that, and that is we haven't seen the second advent of Jesus as the king we, we've, we've thought a lot about going up to heaven when we die. We haven't thought about, actually, that God is coming to renew this world. And so what we haven't thought of is this judgment that he's bringing as actually the way in which the world gets liberated from the oppression that it's under. We felt like it's, it's dad coming home who knows what we've done and is, is right. going to lose it. When, when he gets home when, when, when your father gets home yeah that well, what the church is supposed to say I'll, I'll you know um okay i my background is not uh normative for everyone <laughs> but there were bumper stickers that people in the church that i grew up with that said jesus is coming back and boy is he mad <laughs> and that was a bumper sticker that they put on their car now you know at one i i, I know what they were saying so much for winsomeness yeah, I know what they were saying, um, 
they were trying to say that Christ will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. <laughs> and that is a fearful and, and right, a right. prospect. Uh, it, it, and it is. But what they had missed as well was the fact that it is his loving and just judgment that actually enables the world to be put back together right. the way it was always meant. And so when we long for judgment as a church, it is a corporate lamentation. It is a corporate recognition of everything that is deeply out of joint in us, in our families, in our communities, in our nation, and continuing to ripple out from there. And to me, um, that's how this waiting um, becomes a discipline of hope in Advent, yeah, yeah. is because we're able to see what, what real reality is around us. And I think we are, as I said in the sermon, in new ways, we're able to feel that um, this year in ways that it, you know, if we thought that everything was just going to go back to normal with a snap of the fingers, um, well, stuff still continues to uh, to be dislocated and disjointed right. and people are still dying and there's still all these clouds and uh, of all sorts of stuff, uh, distrust, mistrust, and, and all of that. And some of it, you know, rightly so, and some of it unwarranted, but things are not just going back to the way they were. Right. Well, and, and so the answer here, and I, I think of, I think of all the three of the alternatives we have to good lament, uh, to hopeful lament, um, this idea of distraction, cynicism, mm, and despair, mm -hmm. that, that then in our season, we, we can easily fall like Abraham to any one of these things. And it seems like, it seems like the church has seasons, and maybe the chief season right now is a season of cynicism, where mm. the problems that the society is facing that God does not apparently care about fixing mm -hmm. are the problems in some ways the church has either helped cause, or the church has played an active role mm. in exacerbating or making mm. worse. And, and it seems like a lot of Christians now are going, well, then I guess if that's what the church is like, then that's what God is like. And then I want no part of him. Right. And then they're giving in to some cynicism, right. which is, yeah. I think in one sense, the starting point of that is to fail to recognize, as did with Abraham, that in the silence, God is doing something. Right. God is not passive, distracted, yeah. unaware, unconcerned, that he wants that, that silence, right. that period to form us in faith mm. and hope and patience mm. and endurance, the kind of things we need, like Paul said, to run the race in a long term is to yeah. train. And in one sense, this is training. So, so yeah. is it, is it, is it, do you see in your mind that in the season mm. of Advent, we've chosen to wait poorly? Mm. And that is a lot of what the church is struggling with right now. Now the professor has become the pastor. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right, Dan. I think, I think that is such it, when we give in to the despair, whether by leaving the church or leaving the faith or or we give in to the despair by becoming just a disparaging person in the middle of the church. Let's say you stay in and all you can see is is what's missing and what's broken and how people these days, X, Y, Z, whatever. And you can't embrace Advent. And the waiting that we're doing for this one who is coming to set things right. Um, yeah, it's like Advent comes for all of us in a new way, I think, when we put our hope and we set our hope and we discipline ourselves to be hopeful people for the coming of Christ to renew and judge and renew and heal. And uh, I do think it is something we all need to hear and to be brought back to and here's it and it gets and it, get, it can get really difficult if we want to go go here but if you could say it in another way you could say that injustice which is in a mm. sense the waiting mm -hmm. is a tool mm -hmm. that god uses as well as it is a problem that must be overcome right but but the idea that somehow injustice is the problem doesn't seem to be the case because if you look at job for example the unjust way that he was treated was something God wanted to use in Job's life. Job, Job saw it as the thing to overcome, mm. not what God wanted to do. Yeah. And the cross itself is a moment of cosmic injustice. Right. That God does not, does, Jesus does not hold back from, and God does not end. He does actually not wants that mm. to go through. And so we live at a time when I think one of the things the world is doing and challenging the church is saying, 
you know, then these, these sorts of injustices are too evil that they ought not be endured um, and then trying to fix them, which I think is good. We, we should, yes, I don't think right. there's a reason that, but right. to think that therefore, as it happens, God does not make use of these things somehow. I think right. there's a flip-flop yeah. what God is doing. God isn't, Jesus wasn't ending injustices in this time, mm. but he was pointing to the ultimate end when all these things are made right in right. his time. Yeah. He would yeah. endure injustice. He would call us to endure it. Right. And it all become useful for him. I think that's what Paul's getting in Romans 8, that this all has a purpose hmm. for meaning. Yeah. And that when the answer comes, we, we will be able to see how all of the pieces right. fit together that we can't see in our waiting. But I, I think what you're saying there is so key because... Um, I, I, I was recently reading a book by Alan Noble um, called We Are Not Our Own. Mm -hmm. And um, I wish I had it in front of me. I, I didn't think about using this in the podcast, so I don't think I have it here. But he references this book, or he references a, a poem by T.S. Eliot. And uh, it, it's talking about... Um, well, I'm not even going to get into it, but I, if I don't have it in <laughs> front of me, I won't be able to give say us the summary. But, but it, the, the summary, I won't try to quote the poem, but the summary is you can be waiting for something, but the expectation that you're waiting for could actually be the wrong type of waiting. Right, right. So you could be waiting for something, but if the thing that you're waiting for is actually not the answer, Right. then you have spent a lot of wasted energy in that direction. And I think basically that's what you're saying. If what you're waiting for is simply the end of these sharp particular injustices that we have come to see maybe in, in our own time and to know more deeply or whatever, all again, as you've said, we don't, we want injustices to end and we can work for that as the church and all of that. But what we're really waiting for is not simply these particular little points of inequity or disparity or injustice to end. What we're desperate for is to be renewed and remade as humanity. And that's what we're longing for when we put our hope and discipline ourselves to wait and hope and work towards the coming of Jesus to make all things new. And it I, has I to be that way. Because like you say the cross, I mean, we're all going to suffer the greatest injustice, which is death. There's no, mm. there's no way around that. Christ did not flee from that either. Mm -hmm. um, and we're all going to be called into it. So either we're going to see that as God incapable, God not caring, or mm -hmm. God using it for our redemption. And, and mm. I, I mean, I don't know how else you look at it. And I think, I think mm. whether whatever idol you run to, that's going to say, I'll solve your problems when Jesus or God won't, they're all going to offer that same bitter pill. Yeah. Again, but in only one of these stories is it actually a redeeming event that actually yeah. brings about the formation of the person and ultimately the work of God. And these other ones, it's, it's ultimately a failure. It's, it's yeah. ultimately, it can't, you can, you can solve injustices now temporarily and that's all good yeah. but you can't solve the ultimate ones because the great enemy death will not be right defeated right. in that way yeah yeah it's it's whack-a-mole in a sense <laughs> right. yeah right right it's what it is one pops up when you're there. yeah yeah which yeah. i think can be distracting because in a sense we're not yeah. we're not asking what is suffering doing yeah to us in this in this moment right we're, and maybe uh, maybe yeah. offense is the right way to treat it maybe we should be offended yeah. when something goes wrong but yeah it also is doing good work in mm. us if we if we see it because jesus and, who any person had the right to say i refuse to accept this injustice of the cross right said i will not as you said i will mm. do it as my father called me to do it yeah and it's, it's not that he didn't recognize it as a deep right. injustice and it's not right. that he didn't lament it right but there was something beyond it um, that was far greater. And, and I think, you know, as we've talked about lament, actually taking God's at his word, taking God's word seriously. I think there's a sense in which what you're saying is what it's taking seriously. What Paul says when he says death, which is the last enemy to be defeated. And in a sense, like, we can deal with all these other things, but that the real problem, as you're saying, the real enemy, the deep injustice 
is that humanity was not created to die. And there's right. all sorts of versions of that and forms of that, that we ought to be pushing against and pressing against, whether it's the, um, whether we dehumanize people through pornography or, right, or right. whatever it is. I mean, there's a whole host of things, um, you know, abuse, all, all of the things that we could talk about, racial injustice, all of these things that they're pointing to the greatest injustice of all. Yeah. And that is human, right. that humans, who were created for life and fellowship and flourishing with God in his presence right. are removed from that immediate presence and suffer an eventual death. Hmm. Yeah. And then That's there's work for us to do, which is, is really important that to, mm. to lament mm -hmm. well becomes, and I, I, we had, we have a professor here who grew up in China and a very difficult seen things in her life that I can't even imagine, you know, mm. uh, let alone have, might I have experienced. Mm. And she said the problem she sees with the West is they just have no suffering muscles. She says they're, they're there. They're just very weak muscles. Mm. So when mm -hmm. suffering comes, there's a pushback, there's a move away, there's mm -hmm. a, a distraction. Mm -hmm. I think she would, she would admit that uh, sort mm -hmm. of thing, that we've just not trained ourselves. And I think of all the work we do, which is good work as a church, I think you're right in the sense that this is a muscle we ought to start exercising. I think one thing I've really learned from the Bustards is watching them learn to build up a muscle set that now I just don't have. Mm -hmm. watch them face this and and leslie's mm -hmm. diagnosis mm -hmm. differently than i even as a friend would experience it mm -hmm. that, that the holy spirit has really done amazing work to build up the muscles mm -hmm. of lament there where mm -hmm. hope gets stronger peace gets better in some way but mm -hmm. yet difficulties only increase and mm -hmm. longing increases it's it's and there's there's work to do and, and how do we actually construct that how do we build that those muscles up and Maybe I'm putting you on the spot here, but what kind of things from Abraham do we learn about how we might build up those lament muscles so that we yeah. can, yeah, we can well, do this well? Yeah, I think I think you know I think to start with, and I don't mind be put mind being put on the spot on this, but I think one of the things that we're seeing from the beginning that ought to be paradigmatic for us in our life of faith, which often isn't, is that we must expect that the call to follow Jesus is a call to a life of suffering. Um, and, uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned uh, the Chinese uh, professor that you have who said that. I was just talking to uh, a fellow in the church who um, was a pastor in Taiwan for 10 years of a PCA church in Taiwan, Dennis Brown. Um, if you ever, if you know him or you want to meet him and have some interesting conversations, but he's really plugged in to um, the uh, China Partnership, which is a, 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 it's a stateside group that partners with uh, Chinese Christians. And, and um, he just got back from a meeting and he was telling me uh, on Sunday, or maybe it was a little before Sunday, he was telling me that what the pastors there are praying for is not for what has been ramped up persecution to stop, but that the pastors would be faithful underneath it. And that through these mm. times, their faith and their ability to suffer well would deepen and strengthen. And that's just a very different sort of way to approach um, the struggles and and the difficulties of following mm -hmm. Jesus, then I think that that would not be our impulse. No, my goodness. No. I think in the West, and uh, he's not the first person I've heard that from. Um, I remember my friend going to China during seminary and coming back and saying. Did you know that the Chinese people are praying that our prosperity here in America will not make us dull and fat mm -hmm. and the Christians in America mm -hmm. um, listless? You know, it's just an interesting mm -hmm. they weren't they weren't praying about how poor they were and that they might become like the, you know, you know, wealthier. So anyway, mm -hmm. um, in answer to your question, I think part of what we need to do is is kind of get outside of our tent <laughs> like mm. god brought abraham mm. out of his tent mm. and look around at at um mm. the church worldwide maybe and and to take that position that maybe maybe the church maybe our church maybe the church in the u.s um has a lot going for it but it maybe it also has a lot to learn mm. about this area from brothers and sisters 
who have a lot less, but uh, are, are rich in areas that we're not quite rich in. We say it this way too, Luke, because I think one of the things that's different about the American church, which is something we prize, is that we're in a country where we can actually do something about things that have gone wrong mm. some places. And I right. think that's one way to get out of our, our world yeah. is to realize a lot of injustice in this world. There's nothing you can do about it. There's no mm. power, no elections, mm -hmm. no media you can go to, nothing. Mm -hmm. And maybe we take that a little far in this country in some instances, yeah. but we actually have the ability that yeah. it really comes down to while taking action in the one sense, Right. That we don't limit the work of God in our lives to whether yeah. or not injustice is happening. Or, mm -hmm. or in other words, that we, in one sense, fight against it. In another sense, allow injustice to do its work on us, to humble us, mm -hmm. to, that, yeah. we, that we take that as opportunity to call out to God and not to say, yeah. we don't accept this. And I think that's right. really tough because if you could do something about it, then you don't want to accept that there's work it can do in your life. If I, if I have a boss that I don't like, and I could just leave and go to another job. Mm -hmm. Well, then if I leave, then basically I'm saying, I, I don't think there's any value in what was happening right. to you there. Right. But at the same time, it is suffering right. moments like that where God does some of this work on us. So we actually right. avoid it yeah. by doing the thing we ought to do, by overcoming yeah. injustices. So it, it does put mm -hmm. us in the Western church in a really awkward spot. Yeah. I don't know it's, how we balance both, but I think yeah. what you're saying is we have to, we have to balance both. Yeah, we have to hold those intention, don't Somehow, we? yeah. Yeah. I, I want to say something. I just I want to say that I appreciate, Luke, that you not only have preached these sorts of things, but you actually caused us to suffer this Sunday. <laughs> and therefore, therefore That's have right. taught us to lament. That's right. Uh, the, the joke about the two tents business <laughs> was a moment of intense personal suffering. Yes. That yes. I was told to endure. Yep. For the sake yep. of my own spiritual development. Uh, and I have to say, I did not accept lament in that moment. Yeah. Um, no, well, and, God and I'm is... learning to. So thank you. I, yeah. I brought... I'm impressed. It's a three-dimensional sermonizing. The cheesiness, the cheesiness <laughs> of it. It was, it was beyond enduring, Luke. Yes. I'm sorry. Uh, we all have our foibles, but thank you for bearing <laughs> with me, Dan, and love. And Oh, and... no. No, I have to say this is the work of God in my life. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to lament well. Here. Not running away to another pastor. Who's <laughs> I decided to go to another church and I can't do that now. I've got to... Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I don't know where that one came from. I'm kind of I... from a joke book. Yeah, no, I don't know. It's just sitting there. Yeah, did you say that in both sermons? That's a question. I did. It's, I'm sad okay. to say it's in the manuscript. I could oh, turn the page, whatever. I didn't read the manuscript. Yeah. I'm kind of afraid that off went off it. and no one else would know it. But now it's, it's in print. It. So, yeah. I forget where it is in here, but let's but just forget the, about it. Towards the end, about the last. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know that yeah. is. You know that his complaining was intense because God told him to come out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway. Yon enduring, Pastor Leduc. Thank you. Thank yes, you for well, putting up with it. You've done good work in our lives. You've, you've oh, taught us man. to endure, <laughs> even through a sermon. Oh yeah, now I found it. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> It's awful. Yeah, I'm embarrassed. Well, if you could have had, if, if John could have run to the front and done the little drum cymbal bit yeah, exactly. I think that would have carried a little better. Hickey, you're going to want to yeah, stay Hickey, at the drum set for this sermon yeah, because right. I've got one coming. I'm going to point. When I you. point. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would have helped it there. Oh. So where do we go? Where do we go next? You say Keith is taking us into the next. Yeah, well, Keith is going to deal with, um, so Keith is going to deal with uh, Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. Okay. And that whole episode here out of chapter six. So you leave the legal adultery to... to, to, to yeah, you. oh yeah. I, I leave him all of the technical and uh, <laughs> sticky, sticky wickets. So, um, but he'll, I, I think he'll have uh, something helpful for us uh, about the sort of these temptations that we find in the waiting to relieve the stress and, and, and the pressure and the anxiety. Yeah. And that even in those moments, um, which is a really a, a strange story, I'll be interested to hear <laughs> what he does with it. <laughs> That's the beauty about uh, being the one who puts together who preaches on what day uh, you get to assign uh, these texts. Um, anyway, yeah, no, I, I think uh, we've had some good conversations already, and I'm looking forward to, uh, to, to, to considering this in light of all that we've talked about um, yeah. in Abraham's life already. Yeah. Well, that's good. I, I again, I haven't, I have enjoyed as a historian. Um, I, I like drawing our theology out of historical moments. And the, you know, the, what 
as I appreciate about scripture, so many things, the one is that we started this conversation with was the idea that God communicates himself through the real complexity of an actual moment and an actual mm. struggle and real political frameworks and all of these mm. things are actual. And then God says, now with that, I'm going to teach something. He could easily have just said, let me tell you how this is all going to go down. Right. But he doesn't do it that way. Yeah. He comes through these moments, which I think is you, if you're looking for a paradigm, we actually are living in the same shoes that that Abraham walked in, maybe slightly different sandal, different sure. make, different manufacturer, yeah. but same sandal in some ways. No, it's it's such a gift to us. It is it is a rich gift, and and I think I love. I, I mean, you've probably heard it in the sermon, but I and it's not new to me. But to call him Father Abraham, not yeah. with just sort of this, not not glibly, but to say he truly is. Um, yeah our father in the faith who has left us uh, profound, um, profound patterns and, and, and paradigms for us yeah. to live into and learn from. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, thanks. Luke. Look forward to you. So it's Keith this week and then you the following week. Yep. To take yep. Get yep. Through, get through yep. And then Good. we'll have uh, lessons and carols and yeah. Wow. So. We're Good. excited about that. Well, thanks again, Luke. And thank and you, Dan. Merry Christmas and happy Advent. And yes, and I uh, look forward to uh, sitting in the pew on Sunday yeah, and critiquing right. Keith, <laughs> seeing what sort of bad puns he's able to drop this week. Well, we'll see if he leads. If you lead by example, then there should be some uh, good ones to follow. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, right, for thanks your work. Luke. Friends, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. You can learn more about our church and discover additional resources on our website, wheatlandpca.org.